Welcome to the World Football Summit podcast, the show for football industry leaders who want to stay ahead of the game. We bring you the latest insights, trends, and stories from the experts driving innovation and progress in sports business worldwide. Join us as we dive deep into the ideas and initiatives transforming the world of football. From sustainability and innovation to player development, fan engagement, and everything in between. Our goal is to unite the global football industry and drive positive change and progress. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the World Football Summit podcast. I'm your host, Jaime, CMO at World Football Summit. Today, Thomas Ripens, Direct-to-Consumer Director at Club Bruges, is our guest on the show. Now, Club Bruges is one of those clubs that are looking for new ways to grow revenues through technological innovation. And today, you're in for a true masterclass on the mindset that is needed to embrace innovation within a football property. Thomas and I discussed the countless initiatives they're testing and putting in place to improve the fan experience. Some examples include cashback initiatives, their decision to remove the ticketing offices, becoming cashless stadium, and yes, we also discuss the role of artificial intelligence. We also talk about the process of going from data collection to insights to initiatives. And we close the conversation by talking about leadership, change management, and embracing innovation from every single angle of the organization. This episode is full of frameworks and ideas, and my guess you can enjoy it as much as I did. But before we jump into it, we want to remind you that World Football Summit Europe is just around the corner on September 20th and 21st. Don't miss out on the opportunity to help shape the future of football. Head over to www.worldfootballsummit.com to buy your ticket right now. Again, that's www.worldfootballsummit.com. You can also subscribe to our newsletter where every week we send updates, trends, and everything that goes on at our events. Nothing else from my side. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Thomas Ripens. Well, Thomas, welcome to the World Football Summit podcast. I've been looking forward to speaking to you, I think, probably since last year, since you guys had, uh, were at Sevilla. So, yeah, I'm happy to see we finally made this happen. And, uh, yeah, welcome. Thanks. Yeah, it, it took a while to uh, to finally meet up. And uh, because of the busy season that we, yeah, we had going on and all the stuff that we're working on. So, in that sense, very happy to uh, to join you guys on the on the podcast. Well, you know what to say. Busy is good, right? So, so yeah. <laughs> I'm sure the wait's going to be well worth it. Um, Thomas, before we go into many of the topics we're going to discuss today and many of the initiatives you guys are doing, which I think are going to be a good example for everybody listening, um, I was wondering, can you introduce yourself to the audience? And I always like to ask my guests, um, why is it that you do what you do? Very good question. Um, so first of all, my name is Thomas Repens. I'm D2C Director at uh, Club Rouge. Um, and the reason I do what I do is mainly because it's um, uh, a love brand, uh, working with fans, um, where customer journey is something completely different than you would see at any other uh, company or service that you would provide to to people. So in that sense, my background um, is quite digital and has been very much focused on service design as well and, uh, and on strategy. And uh, being able to do that at a at the biggest football club uh, of the country is something that um, really intrigues me. Good stuff. And you said you're a direct-to-consumer director. Um, 
what what is that about? I mean, I don't know if you can explain to the audience or kind of like divide your role into buckets so they can understand all the different things that you do because there are many. Yeah, so it's um, the let's say that the name or where it comes from is is really simply what it says, direct to consumer. In that sense, that we obviously look at our fans as being more than than a consumer, but obviously uh, the title has to have a name. Um, but it actually means that I'm that I'm responsible for all services that we bring to fans. Um, there's another director next to me who does all the commercial uh, deals with partners and sponsors, and then there's another. Um, director who does all the media and press relations and communication. So in that sense, um, all the services like ticketing, merchandising, food and beverage, events, kits, esports, memberships, all that kind of stuff that, that ends up in, uh, in my alley. Um, and I think that the benefit of having all of that together is that you can really bring um, a strategy towards fans and not just um, some loose ends that you, uh, that you could bring to them. And that, uh, in that sense, it, it, it makes sense. I don't know how you can manage. You're going to have to tell me the secret about all the different things that you guys do. Um, you mentioned ticketing, and I think it's a good way to start the conversation. Um, Club Brook has, has, you know, put in place, let's call it non-traditional ticketing methods. Um, you actually got rid of the, of the ticketing office four years ago, which for some clubs can seem like outrageous, no? Um, I don't know if you can explain why you did that and, and the benefits that has brought to, to the team. About four years ago, I, I, I'm, I'm not per se, or I don't know per se the exact date, let's say, but um, there was a decision made to make all of our tickets digital, meaning obviously they go through a platform. Um, but I think the biggest change is the fact that we only open up our ticket office at game days for questions and support, things like my card doesn't work or the, the, the code doesn't seem to scan and those type of things, but we don't sell in the, the office itself which obviously was a huge change. And I think we were one of the first at that point to actually do that move. Um, yeah, why? Because you already in advance um, know how many people you will have in the stadium, which obviously helps in the operational part of hosting a game and, and doing the event. Um, also, the fact that you have everything in your data, you know which um, season ticket holder, which loose uh, ticket holder, because all of these tickets online are obviously on a, on a personal name. It's also by law in Belgium now obliged to have the details of a, of a fan. Um, and, in, and, and obviously that, that comes from a bigger data strategy that we have in, in actually really bringing everything together from our fan, have a 360 view on what they do. But obviously that starts by the access of the, of the stadium. So that, that was the initial goal to really have a view on that and really understand which fans are, are coming in and when are they buying are they buying like two days in, in advance, a week in advance? Can we can we market that better, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, because you guys at Club Roots, I mean, you pride yourself in being fan-centered. And I guess that goes through having control of the different data points and, and the fan behaviors and, and, and all of that. No? So I don't know if there's other, you know, I guess the goal there is to tailor experiences as much as possible. So I don't know if there's like examples that you can give of how you're working um, on that front. Um, yes, I think it's it's obviously a journey because if um, if you close your ticket office uh, all of a sudden and people with questions have to go to a plat an online platform which we've called Ask Club. Um, .be, which is it's actually uh, some sort of a ticketing platform where people can ask questions that within two days they uh, they get some response. 
Um, but by by launching that, you're obviously not fan centric. It's it, it, it requests a lot more, and doing change and doing change management with that sort of uh, product being being a ticket is something that where you really touch upon the the, the basic offering that you have as a fan, and. Um, I'd say that wasn't easy in the in the very beginning, and uh, there were a lot of questions, and there were some critique about that. But if you look at how we've moved on from that and really put our app first strategy in there, where you can really have your season ticket in the app with a QR code, and you just see how fast people move in and out, um, then it, that it shows that it works. And also the fact that we have um, twenty four thousand um, season ticket holders B two C and B two B combined in a twenty k eight seater shows that even today that that really works. Um, and we only have a few thousand tickets to sell every every home game. Um, but what what I'm actually saying is that doing those type of bold moves really requires change management, and that hasn't always been perceived super positive. I think in the um, in the last years and also in the last months, we will really try to um, start thinking from the fans' perspective first instead of looking at it from a commercial lens only. Obviously, we are a company these days, and, uh, and in that sense, you have to be commercial and you have to try and find new revenue streams. Um, but you can also do that from a fan-centric point of view and really, instead of, of uh, trying to market something that a fan hasn't per se asked for, and really start from what do fans really expect and how can we make an offering from that? That's something where more and more we're trying to lean uh, towards that. And I think one one big change that we've now done with the new season coming up is that I think we're the first in Belgium and, and there's obviously other clubs already um, with a bigger size that do that. But we now have a customer experience team really dedicated to uh, starting from data, but also from surveying and, um, and uh, let's say... Um, offline talks we do with fans to really build those offerings from there. I was going to ask you this later because I think it's interesting. I think it's a good, it's a good uh, time to bring it up. When you Im implement new solutions, um, there's always kind of like a gap between what the fan expects and what the club is able to deliver. No? So that effectively creates some sort of uh, tension, if you will, because technology just uh, advances at such a rapid pace and, and fans in their general life are exposed to that. So they start expecting in every single, let's say, interaction they do in life in general, that every business they interact with brings in that technology. No? So how do you solve that? Because I understand there's a difference between the speed between what the fan is able to embrace technology versus what the club can offer. So how do you solve that gap? That, that's a good one because because obviously we're um, already looking at technologies uh, that we want to implement in let's say two years. You're 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 in a stadium, so which uh, unfortunately for us is an older stadium today, um, and that, that's a pity because that that that's limiting us a bit in, in what we can do for fans um, when it comes to fan experience. Also, the connectivity isn't super great there. But obviously, if you want to implement something that's that is bold and that is that's new then we're, we have to look at those technologies today. And instead of trying to implement those um, for 25,000 people or 28,000 people uh, at the same time or, or all together at once, um, we do try and tend to, uh, to test things out. So uh, for example, app features, testing out with a smaller crowd, um, doing, doing those, um, those panel talks with fans and really understand what do they care about. And for example, also, I've also heard 
uh, you're talking about this in, in another podcast uh, that you hosted about facial recognition, for example, in in Villarreal. Um, obviously, also things we look at. The, um, the, the the question is: Do fans? Um, how do they perceive that? Do they want to have their face being recognized? What about the GDPR side of things? Um, of course, for us, uh, from a security point of view, these things are are great. Also, from from access point of view, uh, things go really fast. But if all of a sudden twenty four thousand of your of your season ticket holders uh, are not okay with showing their face in the app as a selfie, then you have an issue once you've deployed this. So we we try and be be upfront in that and try and talk to them and survey them and and really see how this how this could work. But obviously there's there's um, uh, doing research and doing validation of ideas. There's there is a specific vision and and uh, needed. So in that sense, you obviously sometimes need to push further than only what you get from a validation point of view because a fan is also someone who's really um, um, change resistance because it's their club, it's their thing, it's their journey. They're already doing the same way in the last 25 years. And if you want to do the innovation properly, um, I think really try and uh, try and involve them in, in that process. And also that has been has been a bit, bit of a has been a bit of a learning curve for, for Bruges as well. Um, but I think we're we're on the right track now to to really involve them in that in that process. All right, you know, uh, I really like your mindset because at the end of the day, well, what you're telling me is just a whole different angle. And you talked about bringing the customer experience team. You talked about testing in new initiatives with a small group of people. You talked about involving the fan, which I think is is kind of like, um, and I've discussed this with other guests on the podcast as well, right? Uh, bringing in the fan along on the journey is is kind of like a, a must now. Because uh, for, for the sports business model in general, right? So um, at the end of the day, um, I really think that's kind of like the mindset that clubs in general should um, sh sh should aim for, I guess, right? Um, and and you're also trying to, let's say, maximize the, the experience within the stadium. Because at the end of the day, it's kind of like the... The point of difference for the football industry, you know, and, and if I'm not mistaken, you guys did a, even a, implemented a cashback incentive, no, a, for, for fans who arrived early at the stadium, just kind of to try to expand the time that they're there, no? So, so I don't know if you can um, talk about that, you know, the rationale and, and how it worked and, you know, any detail that you want to share. Yeah, sure. Maybe just one more thing about the, the pulling in, sure. pulling in fans, let's say when, um, when we're talking about initiatives. Um, it, it is tricky to have a very, um, we're an audience that's very connected to the brands and, um, we have hundreds of thousands of fans, uh, all over the country. Um, but obviously there's only a small group, which you can test and you have to make your conclusions and, and assumptions from, from, from that. So in, um, I, I think we're still looking at ways to really convince, um, let's say the 20, 28,000 that we have in the stadium every other week. Uh, about being that fan centric, um, and and that's the journey that we're going through. And then I, I can connect that directly to to the cashback system as well, because when um, when trying new things at Bruges, at least my my goal is is really to to also make sure that we reward the loyal the loyal fan in that. And uh, um, one of the initiatives that we did there was indeed um, make sure that we had a cashback system. Um, which is connected to your uh, season ticket as well. Uh, so if you have a season ticket, you have a, a Club Bruges club ID, which is a membership card that you have, which both grants you access to the stadium. And at the same time is also your, your payment card. 
But instead of just using it as a payment card, we have this cashback system that has been, let's say, uh, or or had has an uh, has had an evolution uh, over the last uh, year, or not. We're launching it right now. Um, so over the last two to three years, the cashback system has been live, and for every transaction you do at the club, you get five percent cashback in your wallet. Which means if you buy a beer, um, you get five percent cashback on that beer. If you buy a new shirt, you get five cashback in your wallet, and and you can obviously then spend that again on other things that you like um, within the club, even on your season ticket card, which obviously is a bit more expensive than all of the other things. But we do see fans actually saving up that money to, in the end, have a bit of a discount on um, on their own season ticket. So that that is something that we've implemented. I think when it comes to um, data and talking about data strategy, it, it, it's a nice word to say and something something that I hear a lot in the in the football community about we have a data strategy. But I think we do tend to or we do try to learn from from what we see in that data. So for example, um, what we see that is that fans aren't per se coming in quite quite fast in the stadium, um, which obviously as a club you you want to have as fans as soon as you can in the stadium. Obviously also for for the spending pattern, but also for the first atmosphere that you have going on, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's the queuing part and, and you don't want to have 28,000 people at the same minute entering the stadium, which which makes sense. So um, what we've decided is also um, for our Club ID members uh, this year, everyone who comes in um, before half an hour of the game, um, they are able to have a cashback of 60 cents on every drink they have. So if that's something we're now testing out. It's a new, it's a new offering that we have, and we're we're actively looking in the coming weeks if that actually has an effect on fans. Because if we can really spread the coming in of fans in uh, in between the gates, that already will will improve fan experience because you don't have to wait as long. the The lines at the drinking stands will be um, will be, and, and obviously that that's an in, that is an investment because we we are giving away sixty cent per drink for a period of time before the game. Um, and that is something that we've seen in our data, what, which we want to improve, and we're using our cashback system to to actually um, make that happen. And you were mentioning, no, I, I think you have a challenge there because you have twenty four thousand people that are season ticket holders out of a capacity of twenty eight thousand. So at the end of the day, I guess it's a challenge to bring those people back every season, no, uh, and keep them loyal. Um, so I don't know if you can share a little bit about any. Um, Type of initiatives you're doing to reward those call it quote unquote loyal fans uh, to keep them coming back every year? Yeah, sure. I think obviously there's the the sportive side of um, of the business, and when we're doing well in Champions League, and uh, we're either when you you we are even passing, let's say the winter uh, stage in that, and we're really advancing in, in that type of competition, you just feel the positive vibe around the club in every every segment of it. When you're not per se performing well on the on the pitch, like we've had a bit last year, we came in fourth. While the, the three years before we we played champion, you do feel some hesitation uh, with fans. Um, let's say for those who are who are not already coming in for 20, 25 years, um, and then you need to adapt uh, as a as a club, obviously, and and need to look at: do we just watch and and see how, for example? Eight to seven, or seven to eight percent of fans clicking out because, or it be, it becomes too expensive, or this type of football or these type of players are not my my kind of thing. Or do you really move forward and and also make it interesting for them to keep on um, 
lengthening their their season ticket. Um, so also there we we've done a few things in the in the last year. It it has been tricky, and we did expect a bit of a drop. But I can already confirm that we will be very very close to sell out yet again for the the the, the year to come. Uh, but it's a hard work from from the entire team. And look at the the marketing machine that Club Rouge has become over the last years uh, with with an internal club media house that we have and and the right partners around that. We we've been able to put up a great marketing campaign there too, which obviously, if you're top of mind, you do persuade people to actually move in. But also from from the selling perspective, we've done we've done a few new things. Um, even though we we had an early bird. Um, uh, phase before uh, seasons before we've now integrated that again, which um, which let people buy their season ticket for five percent less than it would be if they would buy it later on. Um, that's obviously not that innovative, but it, it is something that has worked for us. We've also for the first time now um, let people invite other friends um, and then give them a discount in that. Um, so in that sense, also the loyal ones being able to bring their friends and sit close to them is something that we also. Have got back from feedback so we, we've also taken that in into our sales process and then one one new thing that we're that we're gonna try now is uh is the golden membership which is um which is something that um is an add-on on the, the the current club id membership and it's actually quite simple and it's it's really upfront and, and that's what i like about it and we'll see if the fans like it too um we we do know that Coming at Club Rouge costs a lot of money, right? Your season ticket is something that costs you. And if you're coming with the whole family, it's like, it's like a real investment you have to save up for. And what we find what we find a pity is that sometimes we see that season ticket holders don't make it to the game because of sickness, because that game doesn't really fit their, fit their planning. Um, and we do have the opportunity to actually sell your seat to the market again, which we then can resell. Um, to have a full stadium, you know, and and it's a pity that you pay that type of type of money and not being able to come to the game every every time. Um, so to actually make sure that we have a full stadium and uh, and also to to reward the loyal ones who actually come to the stadium and be behind the team every every other week, um, we've now have club club ID gold, which only the fans um, can achieve if you come to the games for ninety percent of the time. Meaning, if in, in numbers that would mean if you come to the game 13 out of 15 uh, out of 15 home games, um, that's when you become a club ID gold. It's not that let's say the the business people or the ones with the most cash can actually buy this one. It's really just simple. You have a season ticket, you come to the games, you become club ID golden, and that means that next season you will have some unique uh, advantages um, really focused on the stadium experience. For example. Um, when it's your birthday, we um, buy you a drink. Um, if your club ID golds, we know that you're someone who's in the stadium a lot. So we also want to provide, uh, again, a cashback where for you that really makes sense. And that is on the season ticket. So that's the first time as well that we that we will offer cashback in the, in the season ticket. And also... There's plans in in bringing the players closer to the to the fans again, which obviously is is difficult when you become a bigger a bigger club. But um, and that's something that we're working also with the with the sports team to to see how we can how can we actually give the idea that fans are closer to the players, even though we can't have twenty eight thousand people uh, shaking hands with the players. So that that is something that we intend to have in the club ID gold um, to make sure that those who actually were there. And we're going to see it's uh, it's uh, in the last uh, weeks we've trained 
the the fans a bit in the in the friendlies and in the European games to really sell their seat if they wouldn't be able to make it, um, and that has turned out positive. We, we've seen uh, we've seen good numbers in in releasing seats if they weren't able to make it, which we've been able to resell. And if you look at if you look at the game of yesterday, the Conference League game against Arbus, um, which obviously is not the Champions League, but we uh, we have quite a packed stadium uh, when it comes to that. Uh, for the season, for the tickets that we at least uh, offered to the fans, so that was good to see. And this Sunday we have our first uh, league game already coming up, which means that fans can uh, can give their or resell their tickets until the end of uh, today. And um, the goal is to to then resell them here over the weekend and make sure that the stadium is full. That's a bit how the golden system works and how we try and reward and incentivize the season ticket holders to make sure that we have a full stadium. That's super interesting, Thomas, because what I'm taking away from this conversation so far is that you guys are, first of all, trying new things, uh, many new things for the first time. Um, but I'm thinking, well, if you work your data correctly, you're going to get um, the correct insights, and that's going to give you more reassurance that those first-time initiatives, they're always a risk, but maybe not so much. Um, but I don't know if I'm getting that correctly, though. So, no, absolutely, they're they're obviously a risk because once you give something to fans or you promise something to fans, you also can't take it away, um, or you have to rework it in in an offering which then evolves again. Um, but but I do, I do tend to try and um, use my background in that coming from from that innovation scene and really uh, putting something out there in a small group, obviously, and then defining, okay, the goal seems to be uh, perceived as something positive and then actually implementing it in the bigger scale, learning from that MVP-wise, moving on to the, let's say, the next step in, uh, in the development of this, of this uh, membership. And um, it, will, it will be tweaked in the future. I already, I already know right now that it's going to be tweaked uh, simply because we do look at the data and, and we have data analysts uh, on the business side who, who simply look at these, uh, at these things. Another example that we have, and um, it's something that we, we see throughout the games, if 28,000 people, as I said before, walk into that stadium uh, at the same time, um, you do have, for example, a merchandise shop, which is completely clogged up. Like there's so many waiting lines where you just see people hesitating to go in the shop because there's so many people already waiting there. I'll, I'll buy it later online, you know, but then they don't buy it online because that momentum is gone. So also there, it's it's something that we've seen in our data that that people are hesitating, hesitant to buy. They um, and they simply move on to the game, and then that's that. So what we also did based on that is um, we we're now launching in, in August, beginning of August, we're launching a few new extra um, uh, retail units in the stadium on, on specific points where we see a lot of uh, flow management and, and a lot of uh, traffic going on. Just to, to see and understand if we do give them more opportunity to actually run across a shop which is not uh, that crowded as the, the big one, let's say, does that also increase our, our, um, our spend per head on, on all of that when it comes to merchandise? So, so, so really, um, these are also initiatives which we don't know. Like It is an investment to put a shop there and, and really see if that works out. Um, and if it wouldn't work out the way we've planned in our business plan, then we can still move them around and see if another space in the stadium is better. But that's the testing part of, of, of the innovation process, in, in, or at least in how I look at it. Yeah, one of the common things that I, um, I have observed when talking with other clubs, you know, like yourself, like Villarreal, no? the, the focus on reducing friction 
within the stadium, right? Um, and I guess this begs the question, am I getting this wrong? You guys transition into a cashless stadium? Um, is that one of the reasons to kind of like reduce the friction within the entire, let's say, call it fan journey within the stadium? Uh, yeah, um, it, it's one part of it because it's uh, uh, reducing friction is is a uh, is obviously a big one. Uh, it's it's indeed uh, part of, of the podcast we've we've listened to, um, but it comes in all forms. You know, like um, doing uh, access control, uh, scanning your tickets, bringing a, a printed PDF. Um, uh, these things still happen around around the globe in stadiums, and we, we we obviously try to minimize the friction as much as we can. But I prefer to always look at it from a specific strategy and not just uh, solving one friction at the access point and then trying to have another friction, which is, for example, collecting really uh, cash and, and, and cards and, and, and then not being able to have a transaction linked to a fan, so don't, not knowing what they bought, where, and, and so on and so on. So you really want to bring all of that together, not simply because, of you, because you want to solve the friction, but also because you, wanna, you really want to build your, your data set because we do want to learn every, every time. And, and obviously going cashless was, was a big part in that because the season ticket, as I said in the beginning, is both an access, um, uh, is an access touch point for us. And at the same time, it's a payment um, method. Um, so at that, at that point, also there, we, we went fully, fully cashless. People can top up, their, top up their card. There's no cash in the stadium. And at this point, it's a closed loop, meaning there's no um, debit cards or credit cards accepted in the, in the stadium. Why is that? Simply at this point, because we, uh, we we do have that cashback system where we're fully investing in, meaning that there will be more and bigger cashbacks coming up for fans, which gives them the idea they can really save up for their Club Rouge account. If we open that up with with debit cards and credit cards, you would actually the the, the cashback system would be would be a bit, bit more complex also to understand for fans. Um, but also there, that has helped us to understand which bars are doing well, which bars are are not doing well, which beers are we selling? Which sodas are we not selling? If we have a partner activation with a, let's say, alcohol brand, and, um, and we put down a stand to see if our fans like it or not, we can test it two weeks, see how that comes in. This works, this doesn't work. This is the, the, the conversion that that partner can, can expect. And it's really something that we, that, we really, that we really work on. There's that mindset again, testing, testing, testing. I mean, I love it because I think it's just that it's the way to go. We mentioned it before. And um, obviously, Thomas, we cannot talk about technology today without um, bringing up the topic of AI. Um, I guess it's a trending topic everywhere. And I think you guys also are playing around with that. Um, and one of the main uses that, that I'm seeing emerge now with artificial intelligence is, is the implementation of chatbots. No? And, and I think you guys are also working on that front as well. So I don't know if you can share what you're doing there, how it's working, um, any numbers? Yeah, so um, we do have a system where fans can ask questions. It's it's not per se a chatbot today because um, we, we, we've, we've thought about having a, a proper chatbot, let's say. Um, but what we do feel is that fans, um, it's also something that we, that we question, is that fans tend to get uh, frustrated when uh, the chatbot doesn't give the results, et cetera, et cetera. So what we decided at that point is to, uh, to really have a ticket sent in um, with an SLA behind it where the team is really following up on these questions and within two days you get a response. Uh, there's also a bunch of articles on there which are read um, depending on the time of the year. They're, they're read quite regularly. Um, and obviously we're, we're now looking at the next step, like which questions do we get a lot? Uh, how does the system 
uh, is able to, to take answers um, automatically without having a person uh, in there. Um, so in that sense, I think the answers should, should come faster for fans um, without human interaction per se. And I think there's always a moment where, at, at this point at least, uh, where we are when it comes to AI, uh, there's a point where, where, where human interaction is still needed with that fan because they, um, it's, as, as we said, making sure that we were able to lower um, the friction. Uh, you don't want to push them to a system where the friction even gets bigger because they don't feel understood. So it's a, that's thin it's a thin line between servicing and making sure that the, the robot is able to do it for us. So, um, so th there's things that we're, that we're researching um, because we know that we, we can improve in that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, still in, it's still in research phase at this point. Yeah, but it's time to do so. I think, okay. I think in, in, a, in a few years, um, see right now, probably that's going to put you in a place, let's say that's going to be key to win. Um, in a few years, I think it's going to be key to play, you know, at the end of the day. So, so that's kind of like the way I see it. So, you know, good for you that you guys are testing. Yeah. Um, before moving on though, I mean, this kind of, this might be a bit of a, you know, take us a little bit off topic. At the beginning, you mentioned you also, um, handle everything around esports. Now we're talking about the fan experience, about, you know, technology within the stadium and the fan. How does esports play into all of this? Uh, it's a good question. It's a market I'm quite familiar with in the sense that uh, I've also been young. I've also played games. I've also watched esports, uh, etc., and still do today. Um, and what I've seen uh, in my time before I, I was at Club Rouge, they were already quite active in the esports um, world. Also, the, the Pro League on our side has a, has a deal with clubs that they're uh, obliged to have an esports uh, team when it comes to FIFA, at least. Um, so in that sense, there is a there is a league, and uh, and we're I think we're successful in that. We we have uh, two guys playing for us, um, which which initially also came from um, from a contest that we that we organized. So the the winner, let's say, actually was the first esports gamer that we uh, that we uh, attracted. Um, I think at this point, um, our esports strategy is shifting a bit. Um, there are teams that we see worldwide and also in Belgium that really go full on on that esports branch and uh, try and become the best in, in what they do, which obviously we are um, doing too, mainly FIFA. Um, but um, while we are looking at the offering towards our fans, and for, and for example, we're launching two kids memberships uh, in the coming season, we have BB's Club and, and uh, uh, the, the club kids um, from zero to six and from seven to 12 years old. Uh, for me, there's the, the gaming part in the ages after that. So everyone from 12 to 18 who is uh, gaming, let's say, every, every day on different type of touch points. Um, for me, there needs to be a connection in how we look at esports and gaming and how we can offer that to our, to our fans. Because if you like gaming, why wouldn't you be able to consume content about that, get some discounts at partners, etc. besides looking only at the pro guys, you know? Uh, because obviously esports and the fact that these gamers are also professional athletes is that does connect with a club and that, that's the reason why we also invest in that. Um, but I think up until now there was a bit of a missing link in between how can we connect that to the business and to the to the fans because just watching them play on YouTube isn't isn't just that what our fans at least expect from it. Um, so while it was always difficult to really connect uh, brands to it. Um, simply because the, the, 
the the offering and the reach that we have today for our esports team hasn't been big enough. Is also the reason why we now decided to um, uh, to not move forward with Counter Strike, and we're now uh, looking at a few different games which are a bit more connected to what we do, being being football and and being the game. Um, and and obviously they're trying to make that part as the as a membership for uh, for kids and for teenagers, and, and really give them benefits in in their own gaming experience. And obviously, looking at our own esports is part of that as well. Yeah, I, I like that because I think what I hope the audience picks up from this is several things. First, and correct me if I'm wrong, what I'm taking away from your answer is esports is a way to engage with a younger fan and keeping them or keep that relationship with them for the long term. But then you're also going one step ahead and saying, how can I go a bit further and actually um, monetize the support through esports, so through another touch point. No, so if it's another lever, well, it's, it's not just because you want to engage with the fan, which is obvious, um, but but also to see where what opportunities come out of that. No, so I think the the tricky part of what a lot of clubs seem to forget, in my opinion, is that we are not esports professionals. You know, it's a it's a very specific niche. It's a very specific branch, and if you come in barging in, uh, telling them that you're the next big team in esports. Uh, and if you look at the community that's out there in the, in all these platforms, and, and they're, they are a bit underground, let's say, because uh, a, a gamer isn't a typical football fan, you know, like um, it's uh, they, they live on Discord, they discuss all sorts of things, and you really have to earn their respect when it comes to the gaming world. Because if you if you look at the States, and, and, I, and I've been to uh, to Brooklyn uh, and I watched uh, esports live, etc., it's it's in at that point there. It's like they're filling stadiums, and 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 in Belgium we are a bit behind in that, I think. Um, so what I like to do is really put the boots in the ground, make sure that we connect gaming to the to the fan because we do understand our fans. Um, but looking at the bigger gaming community that's out there, I think you need to try and win them step by step, and not just go out there as the the biggest uh, esports team that you think you could be because the the market already has as underground let's say has already evolved quite quite a lot and um, if you want to be taken seriously i think you really need to start from from the very beginning without thinking that you can just claim a whole bunch of hundred thousands of fans because you you put your club's name on a on an esports team and not only that i think it, it kind of forces you to be uncomfortable in a way um you said it no you're not esport experts but you understand that's where the trends are going and it puts you in a position that you have to be willing to be uncomfortable to test, to see, to take that risk and see if that in a way engages. And over time, uh, those feedback loops will help you improve the, the relationship with fans through, let's say in this case, esports, no? But you, you, can't, you can't deny the fact that it's that is becoming and is already a huge market and ignoring that would be, would be silly as well. I think you just need to feel and find how your fans relate to to esports, but gaming as a whole, and I think even though we we have looked at esports and we are still doing esports, we we now try and look at it from a broader gaming uh, point of view than only and solely the the esports itself. There you go. There you go. And I'm, I'm curious. Um, how do you stay ahead of the curve? I mean, at the end of the day, uh, it's hard. I mean, it's overwhelming at at, at some point. Uh, uh, you know, in, in instances. So I don't know if there's any. I don't know, tricks, advice uh, for everybody that's kind of like seeing different waves coming along. So, so how, do you, how do you do that? 
Yeah, I think it starts from, uh, first of all, getting the right people in. I think um, if we would only at the Bruges have people in that only look at the next game and the game be behind that, then uh, you wouldn't be able to actually do what we've done over the last years or, or roll out the initiatives that we've done. I think you do need to have a few visionary people who, who dare and uh, not only look at the trends and do the research about the trends and what you see from a, from a macro point of view, you also need to uh, you put the budget behind that. You need to make sure that you have leaders. For example, on our side, um, if, if you look at the Bob Madu who runs the business, he, he also dares to follow and, 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 and dares to lead as well when it comes to do we need to have a customer experience team? I, th I think we do. So we, we actually put it down. And, and again, I think we've said it a few times. You just test it because you can keep looking at macro trends and, uh, and looking at what, what's happening in the world and what, what's happening at... Uh, in the MLS and uh, when it comes to B2C, they're, they're also doing some cool stuff. Um, but the thing is that you, you need to put it down, uh, connect it to your own club's proposition, make sure that it's, that it's connected to whatever you're offering fans um, as well. But then actually really learn from that. And, and um, even though you can, and I'll take, the same, I'll take the same example, you can look at facial recognition being a, tr a trend or, or, uh, or an innovation which some clubs are exploring. Um, you do need to look at, at, at your culture as well, because for example, I don't know if in, in Spain people, um, are less worried about their selfie being used by a club because in Belgium people are worried about that, you know? So, um, I think culture and, and, and where things are happening are also a very big, uh, big thing in that. But when it comes to where do we get our ideas is we, we do have momentum in a week where both me, the innovation leads, and people from the customer experience team sit together to actually um, see things that we've picked up on uh, somewhere else. Because obviously you do steal with your eyes and you, and again, you try to make it your own. Um, but we do have um, work management systems where we do try and keep up with these lists. And then at a, at a certain point, when you try and optimize your proposition while you go along, that's when you start picking these bigger ideas and see uh, maybe this might be the right moment to look at um, at something where we can improve the the attendance, or this might be a moment, or this type of technology we've seen. We are now we are now there to actually get people sooner into the stadium. We might try this right now. So and then we start talking to partners. We start talking to the to our CIO because technically, obviously, all these things need to come together as well. Um, and um, I think just having all of these moonshot ideas very close to what you do operationally because otherwise you get flooded by the games let's say um that that's something that's that's hugely important because if you just store them away these big ideas and every year you um you bring them up and say maybe this year we should try this they're never gonna land and uh, i think we, we keep them very close and and in our we have bi-weekly meetings with most of our teams um these ideas keep uh seeing the light and then at a certain point they just click in that stuff, it's curiosity, keeping your eyes open and, and talking to people. I mean, at the end of the day, I guess there's no secret sauce, but you have to do it. No, it takes time. Um, sure. Thomas, to close this section, and please, I mean, I'm going to ask this question and please share whatever you can share because I understand, you know, there may be things you cannot publicly share, but there any projects, um, initiatives that, you know, the club is doing uh, that, that, you know, uh, that you can share with us? Uh, sure. I think, I think um, when it comes to... Um, rewarding loyalty um making sure that convenience friction and but also acquiring new fans um we we do have plans obviously um we we've been struggling to um 
to actually being able to build our new stadium, um, as, as, as it's widely known. We do keep fighting to actually have that within two, or, uh, two to three years, hopefully. Uh, but we've been saying that for quite a few years. But if a new stadium would come and, and it would have around 12,000 extra seats, uh, bringing us to 40K, um, it's not something you think about whenever that stadium is ready, you know? Like you're already today, you're building up that, um, you're already build, building up that group of fans that um, might have affinity today, but has never converted or has never come to a game or, or, you do, or doesn't even have an account. Um, so that, that's something that we're working on already uh, today. And I, and I think if you look at the memberships that we have, I, th I think it's quite clear where they're moving. You, if you have a, a Club ID Gold, uh, something new, which we uh, we try and tend to bring um, to, let's say, the people who are mainly in the stadium. So all the all the the initiatives that we will be doing Club ID Gold will be very much focused on people being in the stadium and improving um, that experience. When we look at the regular Club ID, that is something that we that we hope to bring to a broader audience because. Also, there again, looking at looking at our data, um, mainly in Flanders, we're we're very active um, when it comes to fan base. There's a study that we've that we've done, and uh, we have around 1.1 million uh, people who have affinity with uh, with the club. Um, we have also 500,000 people already have an account which we can uh, which we can really connect to. So, in in, in that sense. Um, the club ID goal will be expanded and there will be more offerings also for people who can't make it to the stadium. So more and more of these uh, efforts will be done to make sure that we are able to also reach people from the other side of, uh, of the country. So the, the, that's where the, the offering will, will evolve towards. Again, testing and validating and iterating and then moving forward. There you go. That's a that's a perfect way to end this uh, section, Thomas. And I want to thank you because you shared a lot of detail. And I think anybody listening is going to learn a lot, not only about the initiatives and ideas, but also the mindset, which I think is the most important thing, right? Um, and I guess uh, I want to ask you, Thomas, about um, before finishing the conversation, you're making a lot of change uh, within the organization in terms of innovation. And I want to ask some leadership advice uh, for those out there who are also interested in these kind of topics. Um, so you were talking about change management at the beginning of the conversation, and I guess you were referring to change management for, with regards to the fan. But I think there's also some elements there uh, within the organization, no? So, so how do you... How do you do that? How do you how do you go into an organization that's been doing things traditionally, you know, under a traditional model, and start changing everything and testing new things and adopting a new mindset of testing, learning, iterating, etc. Yeah, I think it's a bit the um, a bit the same as what we um, what we do with the uh, with the fans, like um, making sure that obviously there's there's also tension inside, um, and and not per se because people don't want to to innovate, but it's changing their work, it's changing how they did things in the past. Um, so in that sense, and that, that's really something that I want to advise to people who, who, who are listening. Um, you need to make sure that you start doing innovation from the right way, you know, because innovation is the word that you see on every slide deck um, in, in every conference. People like doing innovation, but you do need to know how to actually um, make that innovation happen. And, and innovation is not just the buzzword. There's really ways of actually doing service design. There's ways of Doing your product design in the right in the right way, making sure that you connect it to a, to a bigger vision and a strategy. And if there's a vision and strategy where people can really feel like okay, we're not just changing our membership name or our offering simply because someone has 
has had that idea, but it's really connected to what we're working towards, that one Northern Star, um, then, then you feel people start getting, getting behind that. And, um, but obviously, you do also need to have an innovative board at a club. You need to have people who are willing to take a risk and are willing to be the leader of the, of the pack and make also those, bi- the, those budget discussions. Uh, and that's, a, that's, that's something that Club Rouge has already been doing for 10 to 15 years. And, and me coming in, uh, not working at a, at a football club before, uh, but do understand the innovation process because that's, that's where my background is. Um, that's kind of giving, giving, um, how do you say that? It's, it's kind of giving the, the free, the free path to, to professionals in a club who actually know how to run innovation, do the testing, not only talk the big words and, uh, and making sure that you learn from, from the data and, and it doesn't have to become more difficult than that, but you do need, um, risk takers. Yeah. I agree. And, and you were talking about, um, I guess misconceptions before. So I don't know if there's any common misconceptions that you see common. Yeah, I guess that's the word. Uh, when you talk about innovation uh, in general, what do people get wrong? Um, I think the misconception I see a lot is that research costs a ton of money, um, just like validation. It's not something uh, a lot of clubs today like to do uh, because talking to fans also uh, gives is, is getting feedback and is getting sometimes negative feedback or the idea that you had in mind isn't perceived the way you initially uh, intended it to be. Um, that is something that I, I think um, you can really solve if you, if you know um, how to do research and do it um, quantitative, qualitative, talking to fans, doing those surveying and how to connect those results to, uh, to potential new um, products or services. Um, it shouldn't cost you a ton of money. Like um, also at Bruce, we we are working on having uh, a group of fans who really want to build the 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 platforms and the services together with us. And in, and in that sense, it's um, it's um, something that a lot of clubs I think um, pass on or do, don't do simply because they feel like they need to have a, a big consultancy firm aside from them to really start understanding their fans. And, and uh, I think that's the biggest misconception I saw when I came at the club and uh, we are now doing this and, and it's giving us tons of insights to actually roll out the club ID gold. And, uh, and then yet again, it, also small, small, a small group of fans isn't a big 25K um, group of fans. So we will get feedback, which we will learn from again, but we've put it out there uh, based on first feedback and, um, and, and and I think that's the I just I just want to advise everyone just do do research do it properly try and try and tend to have uh, a, a trend uh, trend watching but make sure that any assumption that you make is that you validate that with uh, with a fan and um, that's often forgotten. I agree. That's actually one of the topics that I discussed with Michael Broughton on the podcast a few months ago, and he was saying that. Um, the sports business model has to do well. Sports properties in general have to do a better job of involving the fans in all the initiatives, right? Um, and I was also speaking um, about that with another guest. That's uh, the guys from Sedley. They're also going to be coming up on the podcast a, a few weeks um, from, from now. Um, how how that is key today to really bring the fan along in the journey, um, so they understand the new technology, but they also feel empowered and they feel. Or, or belonging, um, that sense of belonging with the club, right? So that's super interesting. And thank you for that advice. Because I was actually going to ask you about that. So, you know, good good that you got ahead uh, and shared with the with the audience. I guess um, 
you know, Thomas, I want to be respectful of your time, but I just have a few, few more questions. And I guess the first one would be, there's so many initiatives and you've had a vast career. So are there any moments or projects uh, that you're most proud of? Not yet. I know. It, obviously, we, we do. Um, we, we did launch um, a brand new web shop and uh, there's a brand new website that just uh, released as well. And, and in that sense, they aren't, they aren't uh, for me, the, the, they are obviously touch points that fans use a lot. Um, but they are quite common uh, things to launch, let's say. Um, I think when I look at the club, there's also definitely not only uh, my uh, my goals or my um, achievements because because uh, it's also <laughs> done before my time. But if if I look at the way Club Rouge has um, mapped out the data strategy and actually pulled in the um, let's say the heavyweight lifting of that themselves, and and how we're able to segment people into different categories and bringing the right message in via the right touch point at the right time. That's something that already today is is, is providing us with an, a, a massive uh, leap forward. So very proud, let's say, on the team when it comes to that, because that is not per se my achievement. Um, I would, I would, I, c I can only say I would be proud of an achievement if in the next year, all the new things that we've launched, like the kids membership and uh, the club ID gold and the uh, and then everything that comes with that um, would we, see would turn out to be a success. But in the in that sense, I think uh, it's it's again booting the ground and, and making sure that we do feel uh, or see that what we felt was was the right thing to do. Uh, we can only learn from that in the incoming year. You're laying the ground for me to have to invite you back next year, Thomas, to see how that all worked out and and see if there's any moment that you're proud of. So I'm going to keep that uh, you know under my sleeve if you don't mind. <laughs> um, and Thomas, I don't know. Any, any advice that you would share with uh, any professional looking to either enter the industry, make the grow within the industry, make an impact, any, any advice you would share for sports industry professionals? I think, I think it, it depends a bit on in what's in what segment you are in a club. Cause there's, there's a lot to it. You know, if you see, if you see the type of profiles that we have at Club Rouge, they're, they're very, um, they're very wide. There's a lot of legal people. We have a lot of uh, content people. We have a lot of marketing people and uh, and also sports people. So in that sense, it depends in, in what angle you are. If, if, if I talk about my own role, um, if you are close to innovation at any football club and if you're close to any digital development there, uh, I can only advise to, um, to really uh, look at the design thinking methodology, um, get yourself courses at any uh, maybe even non-football related um, uh, platforms where, where you can really learn how an innovation process runs. Cause if you, I, I can really understand and, and I've also been there as well, that to, that you at a certain point you feel a bit, um, over flooded with ideas and, and, and there's, 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 it's very tricky to prioritize both on a budget level, but also on a, on an urgency level. Like what, what if, what type of initiative do we now need to launch to make sure that we are actually able to get to our, to our goals, both monetary, but also from a strategic point of view. Um, so by being able and understanding how you prioritize, but also how you can how you can land that, I think that and and we've we've called it testing throughout the entire podcast. But I think um, like the iteration process of how you look at design thinking methodology is something that I, that I try to implement um, um, in in my role today. And and that's yeah, I, I think that, that it kind of works in a in a in a way where you you launch something small, but then make make it bigger while while you move forward. Yeah, and, and to your point, I guess, um, always try to learn something new every day if you can, right? And, you know, even if, if, if you need to spend just 10, 15 minutes, which is something I talked about with Daniel G on the, on the show, try to make it a habit to learn something new and see and, and then 
part of that learning is actually testing. So, yeah. Um, I think for, for everyone trying, trying to bring something to fans um, in, in any sense, could be B2B fans, could be B2C fans, I think is um, it's not trying to make people want things. I think it's really making things people want, um, which actually brings it together and in, in listen, listen to, to whatever group of people or target group you are bringing something towards. Uh, and don't listen to that blindly, but try and try and make that commercial in a sense uh, that you're actually giving them a proposition which what they asked for, um, and that's a completely different uh, ballgame when it comes to the the offering that you're bringing, uh, because then people um, wouldn't mind paying paying that money that obviously comes with offering a service, um, but then it's a service that they actually that they like and that they value, right? Um, Thomas. Um... I want to thank you. This has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, before we go, I want to ask you, you've been at World Football Summit events in the past. Uh, we're going to see you again in a couple of weeks uh, in the event in Sevilla. Um, from your perspective, what is the value that events in general like World Football Summit bring to the table? Yeah, I think uh, it, it kind of hit me during COVID, like a lot of people uh, not, not being able to actually go to these type of places where, where a lot of like-minded people meet up. Uh, I would have liked to have this conversation face to face as well. By the way, um, but yeah, it, been nice. it does it does create <laughs> it does create a specific value that 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 you can do over the phone. And 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 um, what I've learned in, in Sevilla uh, last year in the World Football Summit is that uh, yeah, that there's a, a ton of talks obviously which are which are interesting from from a point of view from clubs that already went where you haven't gone yet. But at the same time, uh, I also talked to a lot of the, the partners, the people at the stands there who are trying to bring their technology uh, to clubs as well. Uh, even today, we, we are still talking to some of those two to, make, to see if we can bring them into our, into our offering. Um, so I think it's a bit of, um, a bit of both, be, both the experience and, and learning from each other, which obviously is, a, is one of the standard answers, I guess. But um, just, just feeling that... that two-day moment of being inspired and then taking a bag back to your club with full of ideas um, and, and good talks and good connections is something that I, that I really enjoy. Thank you for that. Um, Thomas, any last words you want to share with the audience? I don't know if you want to let them know when they can find you or the work that you do. Yeah, if anyone who likes to connect, obviously, please do. I, I like uh, sharing the, the process that, that we're going to uh, or going uh, towards. But at the same time, uh, also for us, it's, uh, it's, it's learning. So if there's other people out there and, uh, and clubs that are in that same uh, state of mind uh, about the testing and about the process or want to learn more about that, I'm happily uh, uh, connected and see if we, can, if we can share some thoughts on that. Uh, I also want to invite them to... Uh, to consistently listen to to the podcast as well. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, ten, tens of uh, tens of uh, podcasts already on there, which are very very useful uh, on the everyday. Um, so make sure that in the next drive you uh, you listen to those as well. Yeah, I'll link to those as well. Well, Thomas, thank you. This has been a great conversation. Uh, I knew it was going to be worthwhile, but I think it uh, even surpassed my own expectations. So I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for all the knowledge, all the ideas, and especially the mindset that you've shared with everybody today. And I do hope, and I think they will, learn many things. So I want to thank you. Great. Thank you as well. Have a good day, Thomas. Great. Have a good day. And there you have him. Thomas Reitbens, with a masterclass on how he leads innovation at Club Bruges. So many takeaways from this one. 
What stood out most to me, though, is the mindset. Think about it. They are incorporating a CX function, testing so many initiatives and iterating, and most of all, making efforts to bring the fan along in the journey. This is something we have discussed on the show with many guests. The evolution of the sports business model must involve the fan. I also like the framework that goes through data collection and analysis to insights, which guides the strategy and then the tactics. And those data management efforts are ongoing. Finally, if you're going to embrace new technology and innovation, buckle up and get ready to feel uncomfortable. You will need to be willing to test new initiatives without knowing if they will actually work. Did anything else stand out to you? Let us know on social media. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the podcast on your platform of choice. And of course, feel free to share with your industry colleagues. Remember, you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can find the link in the show notes. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the World Football Summit Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Have a great rest of your day and we hope to see you next time.